You can clap, it's okay. Yes. Yes, I guess you could say for my message this morning, I needed a little help. Yes. Uh, yes, yes, Corny was, uh, you know, he, he, he's a little unassuming at first, or she, I'm not sure what it is, but eventually Corny came around and had plenty of questions for us this morning. If you have your Bible, open to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Did you enjoy that? Did it take you back to some memories? Yes. It's good to see some of Glennis' relatives up there on the, on the screen. <laughs> some of her cousins. Yes, it was great. You know, I mean, good grief. I, so it, it, it's hard to beat opening a sermon with the Beatles, you know. I mean, I... I don't know, trying to, trying to top that one could be interesting. But, you know, I, I wanted us to do that for, for a couple of reasons. One, because it is okay to enjoy ourselves at worship, right? We want to create an enjoyable environment and an enjoyable atmosphere. But more so than that, you know, I need help. You know what I'm saying? And that is a mouthful, what I just said. Okay, I need more help than I even realize that I need. Now then, there are a lot of times, uh, there are a lot of times when I know that I need help, okay, and so I will go and I will ask someone for help, and I may have asked you for help from time to time, helping me do something or think something through or, or to, to help us with, with something around uh, within the life of our church, you know, as we think about, you know, helping with outside the walls or helping in our teaching and uh, helping with projects that we have put together. And so sometimes, you know, I'm very good at, at asking for help. Then there's other times when I need help and I have absolutely no idea that I need it. You know what I'm talking about? There are just times where things are going on with me and maybe, you know, I'm too close to the situation or whatever it is and I am struggling, but I don't even have enough self-perception or either I'm too busy paying attention to other things to recognize that, that sometimes I need help. Well, then there's a, a, a third kind of help and it's where I know that I need help. I realize that I'm in way over my head but I don't ask for help. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, okay, I know I need help. I know I need people to help me think this through, but for whatever it is, if it's pride or whatever, sometimes, sometimes I don't ask for the help that I need. But the truth is, I, you know, just like John Lennon just, you know, preached to us through song, you know, I need help, okay? And I've not always thought that, like John told us, you know, when I was younger, so much younger than before. I never needed any help in any way, you know. But now, you know, things change, your perceptions change, and you realize, I need, I need help, you know. And like that other great philosopher, Joe Cocker said, I need a little help from my friends. You know what I'm talking about? All of us, we all need a little help. Can we agree on that? If you can agree with it, give me a real big, hearty, oh yeah, can we agree on that? Yes, we all need a little bit of, of help. You know, and there are a lot of people around us, a lot of people in our community, 
people that we work with and see in the grocery store or, you know, that our kids go to school with or we may have uh, kids that play on a ball team and we, we kind of get to know the families there. But there are a lot of people that feel alone. Yes or no? There are a lot of people that feel alone. There are a lot of people that feel ostracized. And there's lots of reasons for that, maybe because of their, their past. You know, and a lot of this, you know, that's what Doug was saying. You know, he and I didn't talk about what he would talk about. Like he said, he just was talking, you know. But it always amazes me when the Holy Spirit works and prompts somebody to say something that goes really well with what I'm getting ready to say. And everything that Doug was saying is a lot of this stuff right here. Because there are a lot of people that because of their past or their background or because of choices they have made, they end up feeling, you know, they feel up feeling alone, end up feeling ostracized. And so what a lot of times they have made choices that have hurt people, okay? Can anybody relate to that? Has anybody made a choice in their life that hurt somebody else? Okay, yeah, I have, okay? And, you know, I will continue to do that. And there are people like that that we, we interact with, that because of their choices they have, they have hurt others or they've hurt themselves. You ever made a choice that, that hurt yourself? Yeah. You know, and, and usually what I've found out, when I hurt somebody else, it hurts me too. Especially when I realize what I've done. Okay? Uh, and there are others that have been hurt by people. Okay? Someone has done something to them. Okay? They've said something. They've treated them in a certain way. They've caused something to happen in their life. And they've been hurt by them. There are a lot of people out, you know, outside of us, and, but maybe even inside of us, there are a lot of people, too, that have been hurt by churches. You know anybody like that? I know, as a matter of fact, and this is where I'll dial in a little bit more, I won't give any details, but I know there's people in this room that have been hurt by churches before. You know, and we think, you know, church is supposed to be the safe place, right? Church is supposed to be where I can turn to to get a little help from my friends. You know, church is the place where I can turn to get some help from Jesus and from God and from people who, who love and support me. But a lot of times there are people that, that they don't find that. And, and just like Doug said, I think there are a lot of people surrounding us who feel like they will never be good enough for God. Never be good enough for Jesus. Never be good enough to come and, and worship with a, with a group of people. You know? And it might be that you feel like that this morning. And yes, in some sense, we will never be good enough for God. But here's the thing. God does not ask us to be good enough. Right? Because He knows we can't be good enough. But there are a lot of people who feel like that. And you'll hear them make statements, and I have heard people say this, how, how could Jesus love me i've made so many poor choices and i've hurt so many people and i've done so many terrible things that how could jesus love me or either you'll hear them say it this way how could jesus forgive me for the things that i've done in my life have you known people like that you see all of these things that we're, we're talking about those can become barriers right 
barriers that keep us from connecting with one another. Barriers that keep us from moving past maybe that hurt or that, that feeling of being ostracized. Barriers that keep us isolated and locked up in, in loneliness. Barriers that keep us trapped in our sin. Barriers that keep us trapped in our choices that we might have made that, that caused maybe all kinds of damage. But... If we, as I've said, and I'll say this again, if we are going to be God's people doing God things in God's cities, then we have to have a different outlook, don't we? So here's our city connection for the week, and it's this right here. If we are God's people doing God things in God's cities, then we must help people tear through the barriers that are keeping them from Jesus. Are you with me? That's what we must do. We must be the people who help them tear down those barriers and get to Jesus. And when the great thing about Mark is we have this kind of story right here in front of us. It's kind of a, kind of a crazy story that happens, but it did happen. And it's, it's full of controversy as well because of what happened. But it's in this story we see someone who desperately needed to experience Jesus. And what we see is some people who refuse to let barriers keep him from coming in contact with Jesus. So let's read together. Starting in Mark chapter 2, starting uh, all the way at the beginning, uh, verse 1. Jesus has been out in, in Capernaum, he's been out in Galilee, he's been all kind of all over the place doing his ministry, healing people, preaching, all of these kinds of things. And then in, in chapter 2 of Mark, it says, when he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room. Now then, this is talking about Jesus. If you haven't made that connection yet, that's who he's talking about here. When it says... He entered Capernaum, is talking about Jesus. And there were so many people that gathered to hear Jesus that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the message to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four men. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above where he was, and when they had broken through, they lowered the stretcher on which the paralytic was lying. Now then, that's a crazy story, is it not? You know, sometimes we get to, we've been in church so long that we sort of miss what really just happened right there. Okay? Jesus is at home, and you know, uh, N.T. Wright seems to think that this is Jesus' house. You know, it's his dwelling where he lived in Capernaum and you know he's been out and he's been doing all these things and his name and his fame has spread and there's people that have been healed and they've had their lives changed by him and now he's back home maybe to rest for a little bit but word has spread and Jesus is back home and the crowds gather at his house and so many people gather in that house that the fire marshal shows up and has to shut it down so many people gather in that house 
that you can't get in or out. Even the doorways are log jammed with people. Now then that's a good thing, right? Because people want to get to Jesus. They want his touch, okay? Well, that's great, but then Mark tells us this extra little, you know, this kind of this extra little add-on to the story that all of a sudden there is a guy there who is, is paralyzed, okay? He's unable to walk, and he can't get to Jesus, okay? So what do they do? You know, me, it would be like, well, hey, look, we'll try again tomorrow. You know, I mean, isn't that what we would say? We get there, the crowd is so massive, maybe we didn't anticipate it. Hey, look, you know, we tried. And, you, you know, I mean, credit for trying, okay? But it would be really easy to say, hey, look, we'll just, we'll, we'll make an appointment. We'll try to catch Jesus when nobody's around. You know, it's just not going to work out today, but we'll make sure we get back. You know, isn't that how we would react but these guys didn't. They resorted to vandalism. They go up on the roof of the house, which is, would have been probably a flat roof. You know, it didn't rain very much here. And they tear open the roof, and they lower the guy down on a stretcher right in front of Jesus. You know, I, you know what I really want to know is what was going on when that was happening? What were the people doing? You know, what was Jesus doing as all of a sudden, you know, the heavens opened, but it really it was just his roof. You know, all of a sudden he's got a new skylight. And then coming down from the roof is this guy, this, this paralyzed guy. What I see as I, as I read this story is there's, there's barriers right here. Okay? As we're talking about barriers that keep people from coming to Jesus, and as we're talking about helping people get through those barriers, I see three barriers right here, just right off in the opening verses of this, of this story. The first barrier is the physical barrier. This guy is, is paralyzed. Okay? He's paralytic. He cannot get himself to Jesus physically. Okay? But his friends do. Now then, whether he asked for help or whether they just realized we've got to get this guy to Jesus, we don't know. But what we do know is that they realized he needed help, and so they helped him. Okay, So there's the physical barrier of being unable to literally walk up to Jesus. Well, then they get there, and they encounter the next barrier, and that's the crowd. There's so many people around Jesus that you cannot get to him. Okay, you know, I just sort of picture this, this house of people just kind of overflowing and listening in the windows and listening in the doors, just trying to, just trying to catch a word of what, what Jesus is saying. And they get there, and there is the, the crowd that is keeping them from getting this guy to Jesus. And then there's the third, bar uh, the third barrier, and that's the structure. It's the house itself, okay? But... These guys are so committed, that's the word, are so committed to getting this guy into, in front of, in contact with Jesus that they don't let any of those barriers stop them. So they go up on the roof and they begin to tear back the roof, which is probably like a clay or something like that. And they open up the roof and they lower this guy down to Jesus so that, they, so that he can be healed. 
Okay, that's a lot of stuff going on just in those first four verses, is it not? A lot of crazy stuff that is going on. It's going to get crazier as we go through this. Now then, I, I don't want to focus on this too long, but I do just want to make one point about it as we've been talking about uh, rising up out of the ashes and as we talk about God and of this city and going out and you know, doing God things and reaching people and, and, and this kind of thing. One sort of side application, and maybe I'll come back to this in a, in a later message, is this, that if we're going to grow and if we are going to reach today's generation, I think it's going to take some hole-in-the-roof thinking. Does that make sense? So just put that in your cap and go think on that and let me know what you come up with. And we'll come back at, to that at a later date. So there's Jesus. He's at home. Tons of people there, roof opens, paralytic laid down before him. And, and Jesus easily could have gotten mad. You know, no speaker, no teacher likes to be interrupted while they're doing what they're doing. Right, teachers? Amen? You know what I'm talking about? I gotta go to the bathroom. You know, yeah, hold it. That's right. Jesus could have said, hold it. <laughs> what are you doing to my roof? You know, I mean, none of us would have a problem if we just tore open your roof, Right? So if this is Jesus' house, we, you know, that sort of gives us a little different perspective. Watch this, verse 5. Seeing their what? Faith. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. He wasn't there necessarily to have his sins forgiven, right? But Jesus knew what was most important. Jesus knew that while the physical healing is important, what this guy needed really more than anything, more than a physical healing, was a spiritual healing. Okay, and so this is where the controversy comes in. Jesus looks at him and says, Son, your faith has healed you. Or you are, you are healed. Your sins, your sins are forgiven. Now then, some of the scribes were sitting there, and they're thinking to themselves, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now then, blasphemy is a serious offense. Okay, As a matter of fact, it was a capital offense. And unless you were speaking truth, you could be put to death by stoning. Now then, everybody understand what stoning is. You take a person, you put them out in the middle, everybody gets a rock and takes their best shot. Got it? And you keep doing that until the person's dead. This is what Jesus is up against by saying, your sins are forgiven. Okay? The scribes, the really smart Bible people, are there, and they see this, and they're saying, how is he doing this? He's blaspheming. Right away, Jesus understood in his spirit why they were reasoning like this within themselves. And so he said to them, why are you reasoning these things in your heart? And then Jesus asks them a question. And if you are a religious leader, the last thing you want is for Jesus to give you a pop quiz. Okay? That's the last thing you want, but this is what he does. So he turns to them in front of all these people, sunlight pouring in, and he says, which is, it, which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, pick up your stretcher, and walk. But 
so that you know that the Son of Man, and that's just a term that Jesus is using to refer to himself, uh, it can mean person, but in here it means, you know, this is Jesus becoming a human being. So that you know that I am God, become human, but still have divine power. So that you know that I have the authority to say your sins are forgiven. He looks at the guy and he says, I tell you, get up, pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately, that's a great word in the book of Mark. Immediately, he got up, he picked up the stretcher, he went out in front of everyone, and as a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Okay? The controversy is Jesus is using authority that the scribes, the religious people, don't think that he has. Okay? So he asked them, okay, which is easier, which one of these things is easier to say to somebody? Your sins are forgiven? Or, hey, you're paralyzed, get up and don't be paralyzed anymore. Which one of those is easier? The first one. And he says, look, so you know that I am who I say I am? Watch this. And that's where he turns and he heals the guy. And what we see is that the reality of the healing demonstrates the reality of forgiveness. Does that make sense? The healing affirms Jesus' ability to forgive this man's sins. Okay? So the issue is the authority that Jesus is claiming. If he could perform the bodily miracle, then he was claiming authority to perform the spiritual as well. Really, the scribes only had one option, to, to worship him as Lord. To worship him as God, but, but they, they couldn't do it. But that's a crazy story. You know, that's a, that, that's a crazy story. But it's such a good story because we see somebody who, like John Lennon, needed a little help. You know what I'm saying? Couldn't help himself. Needed help. His friends helped him. They get there. There's obstacles in the way of him coming in contact with Jesus, but they don't let that stop them. To the point that they rip open the roof and lower Jesus down. Okay, and then that's just, you know, that's just the story just getting started. Then there's the whole controversy thing in front of the religious leaders. And Jesus demonstrates his power and his divinity, his ability to not only heal someone physically, but to heal them spiritually, which is the more important thing. And they end up praising God for what's happened here. The healing is important, yes? The physical healing is important. And a lot of times, let's be honest, we focus more on physical healing than we do spiritual healing right when we listen to our prayers how are a lot of our prayer requests they're for physical healing right a lot of sickness you know a lot of suffering those kinds of things and that's fine but i don't know if we've gotten it out of balance a little bit i don't know if maybe we should be praying just as much for our own spiritual healing 
and for the spiritual healing of those that we, we come in contact with, right? And so the important thing is, yes, you've got a crazy miracle story that's happening right here, and the miracle story is great, but what trumps the miracle story is the spiritual miracle that takes place because that's what's most important. Can we agree there? That's the most important healing, okay? And that's what happens, okay? Forgiveness is what he needed most. Jesus knew that, and so he forgave this guy. For many people, forgiveness and, and healing, spiritual healing, those things are, are, are seen as an impossibility. They're seen or, or, or viewed as a, a barrier. Things that keep them feeling ostracized. Things that keep them isolated from God's people. Keep them separated from, from knowing and recognizing and living into the fact that they are one of God's people as well. The lack of forgiveness and the lack of grace and the lack of mercy keep people from worshiping with a church body when maybe that's all they're looking for is just to be loved and accepted and welcomed. And so that's why it's important for us as God's people, God's people who do God's things in God's cities to help people tear through their barriers. Help them come in contact with Jesus. Does that make sense? Now then, I think there's all kinds of ways that, that we can do that. And how that works out specifically from person to person is, you know, it, it will vary from person to person. But I think in general, there's, there's three things that we can do to help tear through those barriers. The first is this one. Just listen. Take the time to, to listen to someone's story. You know, and if we're paying attention and if we are, you know, if we have in our mindset, like tomorrow morning when you go to work, if you make up your mind, OK, I'm, I'm God's person, I'm going to do God things and, and like God things. I mean, uh, serving, uh, sharing, um, praying for people, listening to people, being merciful, being kind, you know, those kinds of things, helping people find reconciliation and those kinds of things. Okay, so if we make up in our minds tomorrow morning when we get up and we go to work that I'm God's person, I'm going to do God things in God's city, whether it be in Thomasville or Tallahassee or somewhere else, then I think God will give us the filter that we need to be listening. Okay, and you'll hear people as they start talking. You'll hear them talk about their bad day or something that's gone on in their life. And I think, you know, one of the things that I hear more than anything is that I just need somebody to listen to me. And if you have ever had someone just listen, and by listen, you know, I don't mean this. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, hold on a second. Yeah. Mm, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, what'd you say? You know, I don't mean listening, but I mean listening, like verbal, nonverbal communication. You know, it's nodding. It's... Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's really being connected with the person. It's, it's about being present in front of that person, okay? 
And, and, and you know as well as I do that when you have had someone take the time, because listening is costly, when someone has taken the time to really listen to you, how many times is that just more helpful than anything? Just to know that somebody is, is just listening, okay? We have to listen, okay? The second thing, and it flows out of that, and that is to love that person. Love them and don't judge them. All right, judging's not our game, okay? That's not our game. We've tried to make it our game, right? Come on, let's be honest. Have we? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're good at it. We can judge with the best. We might be the best. I mean, come on. If we're really going to be serious, you know, I mean, some church people, and and when I say some, I mean me because I've been there. You know, some of us as church people, we can judge better than anybody. But here's the thing. That's not our job. That's not our game. That's God's job. Now, then, we do some judging, but guess who we're supposed to judge? Uh, Yeah ourselves and each other we're supposed to hold other christians accountable okay we're not supposed to judge people that are not christians okay we can't do that that's not our job okay so our job then is to listen to somebody's story to listen to where they are and then love them where they are as they are for who they are not judging their choices You know, a lot of times it's their choices and the fact that they have been judged so harshly that they feel isolated. But if we're going to help, we have to listen, we have to love, we have to not offer judgment. And then lastly is this, one of this things here, I think we need to forgive. We're also good sometimes at not forgiving. You ever had somebody or know somebody that was hurt so badly because of a choice that was made? And you just say, you know, I can never forgive that. You'll hear parents sometimes say, you know, this person did this to my daughter, my son, and, and I'll, never, I'll never forgive them. We have to be people of forgiveness. Because if we are God's people doing God's things in God's cities, that means we have experienced God's forgiveness in our own life. Right? And if we want to be forgiven, then we have to forgive. Or, maybe, maybe we've done something. Maybe something that we have done is setting up a barrier to somebody. That one gets closer, doesn't it? We start feeling that a little bit more. Because of my pride, because of my arrogance, because I'm not going to apologize, because that makes me look weak. Then all of a sudden that sets up a barrier. Well, I don't want to be around you because, just, you know, I've asked you for forgiveness. You know, whatever, I'm not going to do it. Maybe we need to go ask someone for forgiveness. Forgive them. Asking for forgiveness for our own lack of forgiveness. If we are going to be God's people, doing God things, these are some of the things that we have to do. You see, I think when we do these things, then that gives us opportunities then to point people to Jesus. And say, look, 
I, I know it's tough. I know your life is not great. I understand, you know, I'm not going to judge you for how you've lived, but hey, there's a better way. There's a better life and existence, and it's through Jesus. And I know that because somebody listened to me, and somebody loved me for who I was. And I experienced forgiveness and grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. And I want you to have that same thing. You see, this is what it means to believe that God is the God of this city. You realize the city part, that's talking about us, right? We live in God's cities. And if we are going to do this, if we are going to, I mean, if we do believe God is God of this city, then we have to do these things. We have to have open hearts and ears for people to just to tell us their stories. Because you know there are people all around us that need help. And when I say help, I mean they just need somebody to love them. Somebody to care for them enough that they're willing to tear down a barrier so that person can come in contact with Jesus. You with me? This is what it means. We all need help, do we not? How many of us, how many of us are sitting here who came to faith solely on our own, without any influence, without anybody inviting us to church or anything like that? Anybody? Probably very few, if any. Nobody. Somebody loved us enough to help point us Jesus that's what we must do people are chained up because of their barriers they're locked up they're locked out they need to come into contact with Jesus our job is to help break down those barriers to not let barriers be an obstacle and to get people in contact, connected with the Savior. Let's pray together.